Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. I'm happy to welcome a guest who is working to help people living with diabetes become insulin independent. He's actually the CEO and president of a company called Pearl Bioscience. And they're fairly new. I've just come across them and they're working aggressively to help us living with diabetes, whether we're type 1 or type 2, become insulin independent. Today to tell us more about this is Dr. Ryan Fiorini. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. And I really am excited about some things that I've read on your website. Um, You're such a new company, and I can't believe that you were under my radar, even though it's only been two years. Um, I actually found out about you through Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been much more active on that. So they uh, started following me, whoever does handles your Twitter account. And I thought, wow, I loved your mission, helping people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes become insulin independent. Yeah, yeah that, that's it. So the reason we use insulin independent instead of a cure for insulin is um, this, this is type 1 being an autoimmune disease, you're always going to have to stay on, at least as of right now, you'll have to stay on these drugs um, for your life. Now, that doesn't mean every day. Uh, it may not mean every day. It, it may. Uh, we'll certainly find out as we um, as we move forward with the uh, trial. But uh, most likely, it, you know, a cure is defined as something where the disease is gone. And that that as of right now, there is nothing out there that will ever do that except gene therapy, which is a long way off. Well, in the meantime, you're doing some really exciting things for type one and type two, and I would really like to ask you to please explain the difference between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes because I think there's a lot of confusion for people because a lot of uh, type 2 are now taking insulin where in the past insulin was always linked with type 1 and 1 is referred to as the bad, oh you've got it bad, where type 2 maybe not so bad Um, and so I think it would help a lot of people understand you know, some of the struggles and trials and whatnot, if you could tell us the difference between the two. Sure. So type 1 diabetes um, oftentimes is called the juvenile diabetes or juvenile onset diabetes. Um, it, it accounts for about 5 to 10% of diabetics. And essentially what's happening in their body, it's an autoimmune disease, which means essentially your body is attacking itself. So your body thinks it's doing you a favor and fighting off cells that it thinks are foreign. Um, They're not. Other autoimmune diseases, like lupus, um, is another autoimmune disease. MS. Yep, exactly. And the body is attacking cells that are producing insulin and also the receptors that um, absorb the insulin. And these are beta cells that are producing the insulin. Your body is attacking these beta cells, and after a short amount of time, you don't have, type 1s don't have the ability to make insulin anymore. Type 2 diabetes, at least in the beginning, um, can, can happen at any age, as, as can type 1, but the vast majority are under the age of 
15, 18. Um, type 2 is where essentially the, the, the patient can't use their insulin effectively. So um, oftentimes, you know, type 2 people think, well, um, they're just overweight or they're not exercising. Well, that, that may be the case for some, but it absolutely is not the case for all. And, um, and so oftentimes, as you mentioned, some type 2s might need to get on to insulin down the line. Oftentimes what that is is a type 2 diabetic that's developing type 1. So by definition, a type 2 diabetic not having the receptors to be able to use insulin, um, you know, there's, there's some other drugs out there that, that can allow that, um, but in general, it's type 1 and, uh, that, that people are using insulin for. So really, um, I guess kind of an easy way to, um, to say this is type 1, we pretty much have it for one reason, and type 2 could be various things involved on why you are type 2 diabetic? That's exactly right. Yep. Type 1, you don't have the, you're not making the insulin. Type 2, your body just can't process it correctly. And there could be various factors on why this could happen because I've, I've met um, some people in the last few years that, and actually it's been about three people, which isn't a lot, but they've become type 2 diabetics and had to go on insulin immediately because they were in a car accident. And whatever damage was done to their body left them with type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I mean, they don't really know. Um, they know some, some things that can move, your, um, move you more towards needing uh, insulin. They, they don't really know what causes type 1 diabetes. There's some, um, some hypotheses out there that it could be a virus. Um, there's a hypothesis that in genetically your body can, um, some people are more just predisposed to it. Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, there's a small genetic component. So if you're, I believe it's your mother has it, um, your, your chances of getting it as a child go up about, uh, I think it's like from 5% to 8%. So it's not a huge difference. Um, but it is, there certainly is some sort of genetic component in there. But it's very marginal, really. It is. It is. It is. Yep. And that's really, so um, the reason that we are doing our trial in type one um, is for exactly kind of what we're saying here. And that is that type one doesn't really have another cure um, or another treatment except insulin, which you're essentially treating the symptoms. Um, and number two is it's just an easier trial. So it's really easy to measure blood levels at, uh, of insulin and say most type 1 diabetics are going to be at a pretty stable level of insulin, whether that's zero or something close to zero. And so what we're doing is we're, we're increasing that level. That's really easy to measure. And uh, a type 2 diabetic, as you mentioned, there's a, there, there are a lot of different reasons as to why, um, why it, someone becomes a type 2. And so it's really an easier trial for us. 
we don't see any reason why our drugs won't work for type 2, but we aren't looking at that first. That'll be the second thing we'll look at. So from from what you're saying is, and of course I know this, I am a type 1 diabetic, but our insulin levels, we're just not producing it. So there you go, boom. Like you said, zero. It's only going to go up. That's right. Where type 2, it could change. It could vary, probably even day to day, would you say? Yeah, a type 2 diabetic, theoretically, they could have completely normal levels of insulin. Their body just can't process it right. Okay. Well, that really clears up um, quite a bit and why that you're starting with type 1. But it's wonderful to hear that it it can work in type 2 also. Yeah, I mean, we we don't see it. It hasn't been tried in type 2s. We don't see a reason uh, looking at the science in it and the mechanism. We don't see a reason why it wouldn't um, because we know that the treatment we're giving not only... um, reproduces the beta cells, but also the receptors, the beta receptors. Um, we know that both of those are, both those will come back, and that's really what, what you need for a type 2 diabetic. So we don't see a reason why it wouldn't work, but uh, admittedly, we have not tried that. But still wonderful news. Now, it is, yeah. I'm going to kind of pull back that curtain and say, let's talk a little bit about the trial and what it is that you're you're working on, which is just wonderful. And I know you can't say a lot about a trial before it starts, but just some basic knowledge to know the direction that you're going in and that these are things that you can take to help, as you said, those of us living with diabetes become independent, that we can produce our own insulin again. Yeah, so... Pearl Bioscience is the first group and the furthest along to try a combination therapy. Um, and about a week ago, we received the issued patent for that in, in the U.S. So combining two therapies, uh, we have the rights to that. Congratulations, and, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that was really big, and it, it went pretty quickly. Um, so now that's issued, have it. You know, in, the, in a file, the, the combination are two things. And this, this was, uh, this, the person that came up with this is, is our founder, uh, Risa Levitan, who's an endocrinologist up in Philadelphia. Absolutely brilliant. And she, there, there have been studies where you give a regeneration agent and the, for, for type 1s, and the body will recreate some of those cells to produce insulin. Um, the problem is, is that it's an autoimmune disease, so your body really thinks it's doing you a favor again and ramps up the antibodies and goes and attacks those cells again. Um, so you're, you're producing them, so if you just give that regeneration agent, you'll see your insulin levels come up, and then you'll slowly see them come back down because your body's attacking them, and you'll see your immune levels go up. So what she thought was, let's try this. Let's give the regeneration agent, and let's also give a low-dose immunosuppressant. Now, admittedly, the immunosuppressant is, uh, of the two drugs, the immunosuppressant is the more difficult to manage. Um, You you can't get an immunosuppressant over-the-counter. The regeneration drug, you can, and that's the one we use, is actually right over-the-counter. Um... Yeah, we, we we use a prescription for our 
for a trial, but essentially you can get the active uh, active drug over the over the counter. Um, but combining those two drugs, we are the first and only to do that. And our trial is starting uh, in the spring, a month or two, maybe two months away. So um, uh, late March, early April, 2015, and it's in Europe. Um, I can say that the first site will be Rome, Italy, and we have nine other sites. Many of them are in Italy, and a few are outside of Italy and other countries. Um, one is in the Middle East. Wow, and, really? The Middle East? Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll, we'll disclose all of those uh, once, we get the, once we get the agreement signed with them uh, and get through the regulatory groups. In, um, in each of those countries. But, um, yeah, there's one sort of the, a country right on the border of Europe and uh, in the Middle East. So this is going to be, this trial is on humans. It is. So this is So exciting, I have to tell you. It's so exciting. Yeah, so this is a, uh, as I was saying, we're the furthest along. So this is considered a type, t uh, I'm sorry, a phase 2B slash 3 Type trial. So phase one is essentially safety. Both of these drugs, as I was mentioning, are have been approved for other reasons. Um, the immunosuppressant is used for transplant patients uh, at a much higher dose, um, and the regeneration drug is used for uh, for heartburn, essentially. Heartburn? So, You're joking? Yeah. So both of those are available so we don't have to worry about safety to to a large extent um, we do need to show and have show, are showing that um, combining the two drugs that it doesn't cause some tertiary effect that that wasn't expected um, but we don't really we save a lot of time not having to do that um, phase two is normally a little more safety and a little bit of efficacy and and phase three essentially is normally just efficacy. And that's really where we're at. We do, as I mentioned, have to do one small study to show that there's no tertiary effects, negative tertiary effects. Um, but essentially most of our trial is, is just efficacy um, to show that it, it does work the way we expect it to work and works long, long term. So our trial is six months long, so a patient will enroll um, we're starting with, as I mentioned, type 1 diabetes, um, and we're starting with new onset type 1 diabetes. And again, that's... Just what does that mean, though? Because really, to be honest with you, and I, I, I just want to know what new means in your trial, because new to me is someone who's had diabetes for 11 years. That's still new to me. They're just, oh, you're a newbie. You're like a little kid. <laughs> but that's, that's because I've had it a long time, right? So what does new mean? It's a great question. And new to us means within diagnosed within 90 days. Oh, that's really new. Wow. That's really new. That's a very small market, um, but that's not who we expect the drug to be approved for. That's just who we're doing our trial on and essentially it's because it's an easier trial so that we can get this out to the public more quickly um, 
So not so, to be discouraged in any way. It's just for trial purposes. You're looking to start people off who are really newly diagnosed within 90 days, within three months. That's right. Yeah, absolutely do not be discouraged. Um, we have data to show that we can turn around your your insulin levels and bring them up to uh, normal or almost normal in patients that uh, have had it. Uh, as of right now, we have data to show up to 15 years. Um, we just haven't gone past that. And um, but but yeah, definitely do not be discouraged. It's it's strictly because of the trial. Okay, well that's good to know because uh, a lot of times people get excited and they're all you know, pepped up and then they hear, oh, it only works on people that have had diabetes for a short period of time. But really, in your case, you're saying this is just for the trial. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Wonderful thing to hear and good to know because it can really, you know, it can discourage people and they kind of turn away and don't watch and don't support or don't look at, you know, what your trial comes out with because they think, oh, it's just for people that are newly diagnosed when this is just for trial purposes. Right, correct. Well, good to know. Um, I'm very curious about the two drugs combined. Now, one uh, has been out for a number of years, as you said. Was it over 30? Yeah, so one one has been out about 30, 30 years, and the other has been out about 50 years. Okay, wow, really a long time. Now, the one that are used for, the one drug that's used for transplant patients, that would be, I'm imagining, to stop the immune system from attacking attacking the beta cells. That's right. So other, um, let's say, other, I'm not going to say cure because that's uh, not a great word, but in other research, they're using some of this drug in large amounts um, in transplants. So if people say, oh, you can have, you know, beta cells transplanted, there is that concern that you have to take these drugs and it's a pretty large doses. Is that the case in your trial? It's not. So we are starting at an extremely low dose and uh, of, of the immune agent, um, immunosuppressant. Um, there, there's data um, from back in the 80s that shows that less than 7.5 milligrams per kilogram uh, dose doesn't cause um, nephrotoxicity, so toxicity of your kidneys. Um, we are starting with 3.5, so less than half of what the data in the 80s showed uh, and, and is eventually accepted in the, in the community, in the medical community. So we are starting at a very low dose. We expect um, to be able to go lower than that as a maintenance dose. So we're assuming we can even go lower than that. In the beginning, we're going to start with 3.5, but we would love to get it down to one or two um, per day, milligrams per, per kilogram per day. Wow, very impressive. So is this because it builds up in the system? It, um, it, it sort of does, yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not a toxicity um, from one dose. So yes, it kind of does build up, but it's it's more at those high doses. It's sort of just hitting the kidney over and over, and um, that's oftentimes what what causes that. But you know, in a transplant patient, you, you don't have any alternatives. 
you either lose the organ or you take an immunosuppressant. For this, the reason that it would work probably even better if we gave higher doses, but then there's that risk-reward issue where you're going to be able to not have to take, uh, take insulin, but you lose your kidney. And that's certainly not, that, that wasn't uh, something that we were willing to do. And so that's why we went with the very low dose, and that's why we've moved forward on that. Um, there are other drugs out there that can be used um, that are more targeted, essentially, so they don't cause that, but they're, uh, the nephrotoxicity, but they're just not as good. The one we're using is just the best out there. And again, that's to move the trial along more quickly. But we are working on some other more targeted um, therapies. And, you know, this, the other thing you said was uh, delivering the, for example, uh, islet cell transplants, you know, delivering those um, into the body. Well, so islet cell transplant, you do get this, this same drug, the same immuno, immunosuppressant. The, the problem with a lot of these drugs are that, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of the transplant-type therapies is when they inject them into your, into your blood, um, for some reason, these pancreatic cells go to your liver and stick in kind of other places than your pancreas. And they don't exactly know why, but um, the majority are going to be other places, which isn't a huge deal, but I think it's, it's becoming generally accepted that that islet cell transplants, probably the risk-reward is probably is not there. And that's why they're really not doing a lot. Fifteen years ago, they really thought this would be the cure. Our technology or our protocol leaves everything where it is, and we're just sort of telling the body, hey, I know you were trying to do me a favor, but stop. And enough. the body, <laughs> Yeah, exactly, enough. And so the body will stop fighting those cells, and, uh, and they'll slowly, slowly come back. Um, if you just did that, our regeneration agent brings them back quite quickly, um, within, certainly within 30 days, but oftentimes it's, you start seeing uh, effects in just a, a few days, um, a week maybe, you'll start seeing effects. And the effects that you're going to see are you're going to need less insulin. So you're going to be pulling back the amount of insulin you have to give uh, to that child or to the patient um, or you know, to yourself. You're going to give less and less insulin. and um, you know, Because you're creating more and more of your own? Correct. Correct. That's very impressive. I, I The biggest um, thing I hear when it comes to helping people, uh, whether they're curing it or managing it in a different way, is the immune system. Is You know, you can create insulin, but it's not going to be long-term because your immune system is going to pop back up there and it's going to cause havoc again. So that really does seem to be the biggest piece to stumble on, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And in fact, there was a trial that was just done uh, quite large trial that was done and ended um, just a few months ago where they only gave the regeneration drug. Um, it's in the same, they, they gave this 
a drug that's in the same class of drugs that we're giving. Uh, it's not the exact same drug. Um, but they were able to show exactly what we're saying here is that the levels of insulin being produced by the patient will go up and up and up, and then they'll start slowly coming back down because the immune system starts fighting it. And so that's really where we came up with the idea to be able to uh, just slow the immune system down a little bit and, um, and let the body keep those insulin-producing cells instead of fighting them off. So, but what does that put us in risk? So let's say this is now proved and, and I'm taking it. Would that put me in risk of other things if I'm, you know, fighting my own immune system? Yeah, the most, the most common thing is if, if you and I both um, touch, uh, get sneezed on uh, by someone who has the flu, the patient taking the, the immunosuppressant is going to have a highly, uh, more likely chance of getting the flu or getting a cold, um, but certainly it's not where you have to live in a bubble or walk around with a mask or anything like that. For transplant patients, you do, and that's why you see them often wearing a mask in public areas, and it's because they're on such a high dose, their body can't fight off. So when, when you lower the immune system, you want to find that perfect balance of where the body won't fight off itself or a transplanted organ, um, or in this case, the cells that you're um, telling the body to put back that it, that it had. Um, but at the same time, you want it to be able to fight foreign things like bacteria and flu. And so thankfully, we're able to do that with a very low dose um, because they really are your own cells where a transplant, you need a lot of this. So that's really the major thing is um, just being slightly more susceptible to... Well, when you say slightly more, where I'm kind of coming from at the moment as I'm thinking about this is, so when they say diabetic has a cut, especially when they talk about the feet, we won't have to go into the nitty-gritties of all that because if you are diabetic, you're grossly aware. But they say, oh, be careful, you've got a cut, we don't heal the same. Some of us notice it, some of us don't. Would this affect, being on this drug, would it affect your healing? So if you cut yourself, would be, there be any risk of healing factors there? So, In other words, you know, you, you would have a greater chance of infection due to cuts or abrasions of any kind or operations of, that have nothing to do with diabetes, obviously, for some other purpose. So your, your chance of getting an infection certainly will be slightly higher. Um, and I don't know the answer as to what slightly means. Um, I can just look at the dose that the patient is taking is quite low. Um, but, but, I mean, just by definition, that's what we need to happen is to have the body um, attack less things in, in the body. Um, the same token, as you mentioned, healing is oftentimes an issue, especially in the feet or extremities um, for especially a diabetic. Um, And our drug essentially puts the pancreas back the way it was or as close as we can to the way it was prior to being diagnosed. So 
you know, that's oftentimes the problems that, that come with being a diabetic are the, um, the kidney failure, the uh, foot and leg issues, the, the uh, eye issue, blindness, um, heart disease, stroke. That's from the insulin going up and down, super high, super low. And because our drug is, we allow the brain and the pancreas to decide how much insulin is being produced and get it at that perfect level, um, those side effects should be eliminated. Um, We say should be because only time is going to tell 10 years down the line, but uh, we, we don't see a reason why it wouldn't because the body's going back the way it was. Well, that's that's very interesting because I didn't think of the brain factor, right? I always focus on the pancreas. Oh, you know, to get these beta cells, we need them, right? We need something um, to work. And that is fascinating to me. It is the brain, really, that's involved, and they have to work together in knowing how much insulin we need. And the fact that you can regenerate these cells is fantastic. So let's, okay, you regenerate the cells. Now we're taking something... So the autoimmune our immune systems don't um, interfere with this process. Do you still have to always take the drug to regenerate? Is there a point where we have enough where it's just maybe the um, the immune drug that we would have to take? It's just curious, like how much is enough, or is or is it showing that it's still we're still using some beta cells along the way? We don't know the answer to that long-term. We do know that only treating a patient with the immunosuppressant at diagnosis will stretch out the time that they have to go on to insulin, but it will not allow the body to go back the way it was. So that's data that's been um, accepted publicly you know, years and years ago. So we know that, and, and some physicians are still doing that. They will give an immunosuppressant uh, immediately when they find out that, uh, on some patients, that they find out that they're diagnosed. Um, we, we, so we know they need a regeneration drug, at least in the beginning, in the beginning meaning a couple of years. After that, there certainly is a possibility, um, but we, we don't know. Um, the the regeneration drug is the is extremely benign. There really are not a lot of negative side effects from it. Um, the immunosuppressant certainly has more than the regeneration drug when it comes to side effects, but um, also they, they are definitely manageable. And um, certainly, when you look at risk reward of will you be more susceptible to getting a cold than someone who's not on it? The answer is yes, but not having having essentially a, a, a pancreas that can create insulin and keep your glucose levels you know, right at 100 or, or close to that is, um, is worth the risk, the slight risk. Well... I, I'm just thinking, is there a period of time, if somebody was really worried about that, and I agree, their risk factor, it seems, is quite low in comparison to not having the pancreas back to the state it, it was, you know, meant to work in. But 
I'm wondering, is there a time when maybe if it was absolutely necessary, somebody came off um, this suppressant for our immune systems, that they could do that, but then you could start it back up again? Is that something that could work? I'm just curious. A lot of questions are popping up for me, right? Yeah, so the body, the immune system that attacks the uh, the beta cells is, in the whole scheme of things, it's slow. So you absolutely could miss a dose uh, or a week, and you're not going to, uh, you're not going to die from it. That being said, you're probably going to notice a difference. You're probably going to, if you are checking your blood sugar, our hypothesis would be that you would start noticing your insulin go down because the body essentially is fighting the cells or killing the cells faster than it's reproducing the cells, even with the regeneration agent. And as I mentioned, we know for a fact that the body will always kill them more quickly than we can reproduce them unless you give that immunosuppressant with them. So there really isn't a choice? There isn't. Nope. Not at this point in time? Correct. There is no other choice right now. That is the only choice. Um, We'll say that there are some other more targeted immunosuppressants out there, um, not that are approved, but that are in research, and we are working with some of those groups to down the road to hopefully be able to do that where meaning more targeted meaning it will tell the body don't attack the pancreas but it won't affect any of the other issues uh, any of the other organs Um, but those aren't approved yet um, for any use let alone for type 1 diabetes okay but there's something that to look down the road that that could change up Absolutely. And, you know, at, at Pearl, we're, we also have things in our pipeline to be even better regeneration drugs. So, you know, as I mentioned, the one that we're using is over-the-counter um, for a different use, but we also are making some um, novel type drugs that we can use that will be even better at regeneration, you'll be able to take a lower dose and it'll have a higher effect, um, which is always good. You always want to take the least amount of drug, no matter what it is, that, that you can. And so that's really our goal. And so our second, our first goal is to have that other regeneration drug out in you know five to seven years. The second goal is to have a more targeted immunosuppressant uh, to go along with that. As of right now, we we don't have that, nor is that out uh, available to anyone as of right now. Well, I saw when I read um, on your website that you've got this trial that's starting, and this was working on live beings, where the second trial that you've kind of touched on a little bit with um, with the other drugs that that was more in, let's say, the vitro, the test tube stage that's, you know, controlled, that it's not in live beings, whether it be, you know, animals or humans. So you do have two different things going on. But the first one is actually going to humans, which is so exciting. Yeah, that's really what made me so excited about this 
this company and really why I came on board. You know, everybody in this company has some connection to diabetes. Um, Risa Levitan, the physician, the founder, she is an endocrinologist, as I mentioned, and she sees patients from all around the world uh, that come to her um, that are type 1 diabetics. Um, the One of our um, associate scientists, she, her son had, uh, had type 1, or was diagnosed at 2 years old, he's now 13. Um, he's the one that's on, the, on our website, uh, on the front page, uh, Lewis Coco. Oh, really? <clears throat> yep. So that's, and then my experience was um, my grandfather who had it for, uh, he got adult onset um, and potentially, I think now we can look back on it and say he probably started with type 2 and um, type 1 came out a little later than that, but um, he, you know, he passed away uh, last year, almost pretty much a year ago, and it was after a pretty long battle with all the side effects that go along with it, um, you know, the blindness and the amputations, and the, uh, he, he had to have a kidney transplant. So he was on the high dose of this drug, uh, this immunosuppressant, ironically, um, because he did have to have that kidney transplant. And, you know, I think one of the things that really hit home with me was I was at the funeral uh, last early February and um, within about three days we with Pearl we finalized all the employment documents uh, for me to get started so really it was right when he went a couple days later you know this this was finalized and so I was able to get on board so it was really really pretty Pretty interesting, pretty divine. Very divine. I mean, it really touches home for all of you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one of our board members um, is a type 1 diabetic. Uh, she's, she's had it all her life. Um, another employee. So we have essentially five employees that are directly on, uh, directly work for Pearl. And then we have... Um, at any given time, greater than 20 consultants or um, some sort of part-time people that are, are running our trials or doing some work at some of the universities, some of the sponsored research that we do. Um, for example, right now, uh, the thing you were mentioning for our other regeneration drugs, those are being done at Yale University, um, and all that information is, is also available on our website. Um, to see um, see what we're doing there. And as you mentioned, it is in vitro um, as of right now, which means in, essentially in test tubes, um, but that will go into um, small rodents um, in, the, in the next month or so. So in other words, it will go, um, this will be in more live circumstances because that's really um, where research moves ahead. That's it. You know, uh, I mean, certainly you, you want to limit the number of of any being that, that you need to use, but it is a, um, it's a necessary evil. And so the way we lower the numbers that we need to use 
are, for example, right now what we're doing is we're taking these drugs that we've created and draw blood from, from humans, and we take that drug, we put it into the blood, and we let it sit for X amount of time, and then we draw it back out and we see how much is left. So we're seeing how the body uh, gets rid of, how, how the factors in the blood get rid of this drug. Now, that's not, that's not great because the blood doesn't have the liver going through it, doesn't have the kidneys, it doesn't have all these filtering devices, but it's better than nothing. And it certainly will get the number of rodents we need down to as low a level as we can. That's always the goal, is to get it as low as possible. So you've got a couple of things in the work that sound really exciting. We do. Uh, you know, the, the goal is to get this, this first trial, the reason that uh, this, the one in humans, the goal is to get that approved in hopefully the next year. Um, the trial will begin in March, April timeframe in Europe. And um, then immediately afterwards, our plan is to come back um, to the U.S. and get that approved uh, to then do the trial here. Um, at that point, hopefully we can uh, have it approved at least in Europe, and then shortly thereafter, hopefully have it approved here in the U.S. So, and I know these things take time, and it, you have to go where um, you can start moving forward. So that's obviously why you've started in Europe at the moment, and then Correct. trying to get it approved after the fact in the U.S. So what happens, I mean... Clarice has patients that come to her from all over the world. If somebody was really wanting to get this, after your trial's done in Europe, and I don't know, even maybe before, could someone go and purchase this and start taking it in Europe before it's approved in the U.S. or Canada, North America? Um, physically, could somebody get it? Yes you could physically get these two drugs. Um, we would adamantly say, don't do it until the trial's done. Now, once the trial is over and we, we have the results, um, there's nothing that we can do to stop a physician from giving those two drugs. Um, but what we would strongly recommend is that go through the correct channels and wait until it is approved to be absolutely sure that there are no negative side effects or that there are certainly manageable side effects. So I guess what I, I meant really was if it's approved in Europe, you could go to Europe and say, all right, it's approved here. I would like this in this combination or see a physician there and then get on some protocol if it wasn't already approved in the U.S. and Canada. That's right. And There's nothing stopping a, a North American from doing that. No. The, the only thing is, is during the trial, um, the patients have to be either in Europe or in uh, the Middle Eastern country. And the reason is, is because the FDA guides patients that are in the U.S. So if a patient was newly diagnosed and they met all the criteria to get into the study, um, they would have to essentially move to Europe in order to be able to do this. And that's really because you're, you're seeing the patient, 
you need to see the patients, uh, not on a daily basis, um, but certainly a weekly basis to have blood draws. Um, and then also the second reason is, is that um, we are all protected by the FDA and it, it would sort of be a, um, a way around doing that and that's really not what we're looking for. We're looking for to do it the right way. Well, of course, I'm thinking more of if somebody was really eager beaver once it's approved in uh, Europe, if they really wanted to, they could go and see a doctor there and, and get on this if they wanted to. Um, if they were really eager and it wasn't approved yet in North America. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, there's nothing that we could, that anybody could do to, to stop them from doing that. Just wanted to ask the question because many people have said that, well, it's not approved in North America, and not just with diabetes, but lots of different things. You hear this, it's a very common thing, that they're willing to travel to other places in order to get a treatment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's um, there's many countries out there that have some, some treatments for all different diseases, and, you know, again, what I would just always recommend is look at the risk-reward, and... Um, you know, with our drug, the reason we're another reason we're starting with drugs that are well known and that are combined already. You know, for example, we know that there's transplant patients that are on a high dose immunosuppressant and also have heartburn, and so they're taking this other drug over the counter. We know that there's patients on both, and we know that um, that there most likely is not any um, adverse third-party type. Um, type issue with them, um, but that's certainly something that you want to look at, whether that's, you know, going to China to do something or um, going to South America. Those are normally the two largest areas that will, will have some of these new drugs, and um, the reason is because they can, they tend to be a little more risky. They allow, uh, their regulatory groups allow things to go into humans sooner than they do in the U.S. or Europe. Very interesting. So what can we do? This is all very exciting, very exciting. Um, And I'm glad that Pearl's out there helping people with diabetes become insulin independent. Very happy about that. And you're so new. You're only two years old. So how can we support Pearl in this venture to help diabetics become insulin independent? So the best way to support us during this trial is to um, sort of become one of our, we're calling advocates, diabetic advocates. Now that can be a patient, that can be a family member, that can be a parent of a young child. Um, Going to our website of pearlbioscience.com, and pearl is spelled P-E-R-L-E, all one word, pearlbioscience.com, and signing up for our newsletter the newsletter only goes out uh, th- three to four times a year, so essentially quarterly, and it's an update um, as to where we are. So if you want the update sooner than anyone else, than the public, then press releases, that, that's the place to do it. And um, the, the goal of that is to have a large number of advocates down the line um, because, admittedly, uh, a company can only do so much to to get through, you know, there's there's always going to be red tape in anything you do, and having a large backing behind you will 
almost always um, move something forward. More people will listen, whether it's in the government or another company. Um, when you have enough people behind you, uh, that will help move things along. So that's the way, that would be the best thing for us is to sign up for the newsletter. It's super easy. Go to our website, go to the bottom of any page, um, and put in your email address and uh, click confirm. And like I said, you'll get uh, no more than four emails per year. It seems like such a simple thing, and yet it would really help Pearl move forward with this? It would. And, you know, we, we, we've had just in the past uh, few months, you know, we've had thousands of people that have signed up and um, very few who unsubscribe. But anybody who does sign up, you know, you always have that right to uh, – to click one button at the bottom of any email and it will unsubscribe you um, if for some reason you're not happy with, with the few emails you get per year. But um, definitely won't be swamped with, with our emails. And this would just keep us updated on how you're, you're moving along with this trial? Yeah, exactly. So for, for the time being, for the next uh, nine months, um, so during the trial in Europe, uh, the, the newsletter or the emails will essentially just be as an update. Um, and we normally send those out just before a press release goes out or as the press release goes out so they have so you sort of have, have it right in front of you. Um, once the trial is complete, assuming it's as successful as we expect it to be, um, at that point there will probably be some, um, some more information in these emails to say hey you know if you here's the data and if you do think this is exciting here's what to do to help us move that along more quickly and get it out to the market so that as you mentioned you don't have to go to europe to get it to get that drug you we can get it through the regulatory groups in the u.s and in canada and you can then just go to your local physician or endocrinologist and and get that uh, prescribed to you. Amazing. This is really promising. So how long is this trial? Was it, did you say it was six months? Yeah, the trial is six months, and that's six. So the patients are on these two drugs um, for, for six months. So trial normally takes about nine months because that's six months from the last patient that enrolls, and it'll probably take us about three months to, to get the 80... 81 patients that we need so that it's statistically significant. 81 patients, and all of them have to have diabetes no longer than 90 days? Yeah, that's that's the hard part, and that's really why we're in a number of different countries, um, is to be able to get that. In the U.S., um, the sites, we actually have our sites all ready to go, um, and they're all around the country, so we have them on the West Coast, the East Coast, and even in the central United States. Uh, so in a year, when we're ready, those will go. In Europe, um, the countries just aren't large enough. And uh, so we, we had to go to, to a number of countries to be able to, to get those numbers in a reasonable amount of time. Nine months isn't a huge delay. Um, but, you know, the shorter amount of time, the better, because the sooner it will get out to, uh, to, to people that aren't in the trial. 
So now we have nine months, so it starts the spring, then you have nine months, and then after nine months, and you we expect and we all hope this goes well, and the data is backed up that yes, this is such a wonderful thing for diabetics and to become insulin independent. Now what happens from there to North America? What length of time could we be looking at? So we, we don't exactly know. We can guess that uh, the U.S. would, uh, the U.S. regulatory group, uh, which is the FDA, would suggest a, another um, six, three to six month trial. Um, that's, that's kind of what we would expect, but we don't know. And um, so it would be essentially behind Europe three to six months. Um, that's our expectation, but we don't know that for, for sure until the application goes in uh, at the end of this year when the data, when we have the data from, from Europe. And, and really, admittedly, the FDA can't tell us until they see the data. So you know, there's no point in going to them right now and trying to get an answer because even if I were them, I wouldn't give me an answer until I saw the data. Well, of course. I, I'm more curious and, of course, excited about this and wondering how long uh, any of us in North America may have to wait. Realistically, I would say probably a year and a half in the U.S. and probably around a year in, in Europe, hopefully. Now, I will say there's always a chance that the regulatory groups, whether it's in Europe or in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world, can come back and say, we would like another trial of X amount of months or days. That's always possible, even when you're starting a trial and you think that it's your last trial. Um, they always have the right to come back and say, here's what we would like and here's why. So that can always be delayed. Um, that's really where the advocates come in. And um, you know, right or wrong, that, that, is, that is a benefit to having people uh, behind you. So if people go to your website, pearlbioscience.com, so very, very easy, and, and sign up for your newsletters, now we're, in, we're, we're seeing what's going on with the trial, the outcome, and people can support and say, we want this in North America. It was approved in Europe, went through trials successfully. If that does happen, then in North America, at least we're aware of it by signing up for the newsletters and supporting Pearl. That's right. Yep, that would be a big help to us. Well, that sounds like a very easy thing to do. You're not asking for people to part with millions of dollars rather than support a cause and keep, you know, abreast of what's going on. Yeah, no, not at all. In fact, so um, we know that our trial is already fully paid for. Um, we went through a, a fundraising uh, and brought on a number of investors um, earlier in, in 2014, and uh, that's going to take us through the trial. So we know that this trial will be completed um, under the f current funding. And so, yeah, we're not we're not asking for any money, nor would we even take any money right now. Well, that's that's a change. <laughs> it is. It, is. it really it's is a, nice a big change. change. Yes. So often I, I hear. Well, if we can reach this dollar amount, that gets us closer to a cure. Yeah, that that's not the case here. We've we've already done that, 
and um, we had some have some absolutely amazing investors who also agree that this is a, a big deal and um, and came on board back in uh, April May of, of uh, 2014 and um, we're we're looking to get through uh, this trial um, under this current uh, this current fundraising, which we really don't see a problem with. Well, that's awesome. So this is really um, a really huge stepping stone because part two, you're looking at other things that you can work on with the immune system, maybe different alternatives with drugs and so on. But this still sounds fairly... Um, uh, the risks are fairly low from what I'm hearing from you. They are. The risks are, are, are quite low as far as we know. Um, you know. Like I said, the drug's been out there, the, the immunosuppressant's been out there for about 50 years, so it, it's pretty well well known, and we're giving an extremely low dose. Um, but you know, the, certainly something can always come up, but uh, you know, I definitely think it's quite quite promising as do um, all of our trial sites. They're extremely excited. We had a, uh, last month, we had our kickoff meeting with all of the sites, uh, and, uh, I believe nine or ten different sites uh, around Europe, um, and uh, some very well-known physicians in diabetes in Europe uh, are, are involved and uh, can say with a hundred percent certainty every single person that was there uh, was extremely excited about this trial and believed that this really could be the most this is the most promising um, therapy to get people insulin independent that's out there right now and so very important you know I have to say, after years of having diabetes, it's not about taking my blood sugar. It's not about managing what I eat. It's not about testing um, or giving insulin. It's not about any of that. It's about the side effects. Yeah. That's what it's really about. So, you know, when people say, well, you don't have to give a needle anymore. You know, <laughs> I've given an injection for the majority of my life. You might as well say my entire life. Um, I've had to be aware of my blood sugars my entire life. I had to balance food at a very young age and understand that and learn and grow and my, all the stepping stones and be aware of low sugars and high sugars all my life, along with so many other people that I've met along my journey that have diabetes. And to think that it's just about taking an injection it's not. It's really about the side effects. So even though these are drugs that you have to take, and as you said, nobody wants to overdo drugs or take drugs, but the fact that it can put the pancreas back into its original state is so very promising and really minimizes, or does it actually take away, all those things that come from diabetes? Well, I doubt any, any drug will get rid of all of the side effects, but certainly we, from what we've seen, we believe that uh, the, the pancreas goes back to the way it was and uh, are certainly as close as possible, and uh, th those issues would be extremely low. Um, you know, one piece of data that I think was 
was most promising to me is looking at patients' levels of, um, of glucose in their body at any given time. And I can pretty much even describe this without even seeing it. So patient one is a, call it a well-controlled type 1 diabetic. And their sugar levels essentially look like an EKG, so a, a heart monitor, if you can picture that. So it's straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. And that's a well-controlled uh, type 1 diabetic. A patient that is type uh Patient number two, who's um, non-diabetic, you pretty much see, you know, they eat a meal and you see it go up just a little bit and comes right back down and pretty much stays at essentially a plateau. A patient on our drug, we see the highs and lows in 30 days. We see the highs and lows um, a lot smaller than the patient that's on insulin, but larger than they are the patient without uh, diabetes. So there's a potential that we can't get back to completely normal and uh, not having any side effects, but there's very little doubt that it will, uh, it will certainly reduce those significantly. Or just could be an awesome alternative to insulin. Yeah, I mean, insulin is amazing. And uh, it, it has, it is, I think, one of the rare medical breakthroughs uh, in our life, it, well, before our lifetime, but it, ever. Um, it's certainly up there in the list, and it, it's a great thing to have. It keeps people alive. Um, that being said, there are better things out there, and um, I, I, think, I think the community is ready for it. And I think we we have the best chance of having it out there. Well, that's wonderful. You know, even through the years, I've seen such tremendous changes in um, in the management of diabetes. And I say this often, but it's so true. I started with glass test tubes to test my blood sugar through my urine, eyedropper, water, pills that would burn your fingertips if you had touched them. I had a glass syringe that I would have to boil and keep in... Um, rubbing alcohol and I used all that when I was first diagnosed and they taught children how to do this. Now you can have a pump that tells you how much insulin to take. It's attached to you. You can use a pen like needle to dial and inject. There's various types of insulin um, and it's it always astounds me. I'm hearing a new kind of insulin all the time that does different things to manage different requirements for different people with diabetes. Um, It's just amazing how it's all changed. The first time I saw a a machine that would test your blood with a strip, it was the size of a large calculator that uses tape. You know, if you've seen the old calculators that accountants used and you see them pounding away on it, and they were quite large and they had a roll of tape. That was how large the first testing machine was when I saw it. And it was expensive. It was like crazy expensive. And they showed it to us at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And we thought, wow, this is incredible. Well, today I can tell you, mine does it. And we used to have to wait minutes. 
Mine does it in seconds. Bang on, much more accurate, so easy to use. You can take it anywhere. So now that we can move towards something like your trial, it's just phenomenal. And being able to replace insulin and being producing our own is just so exciting. And, you know, our patients, I mean, absolutely, you can still um, use the finger tests. And, you know, that's oftentimes what you have to do. But our patients that will be in our trial are all going to be on continuous monitoring. So it takes um, 200 and some readings per hour. And essentially it sends the data to what looks like an iPhone. And uh, a lot of patients, especially type 1 patients that are on the pump, insulin pump, use the the continuous monitoring. And um, so that's what our patients will be on. Um, We find that for most patients that helps, um, especially the new onset patients, helps them sort of stay a little more dialed in with their insulin dosing. And uh, truthfully, it gives us more data to show the regulatory groups that this is uh, safe and doing what we um, are claiming it's doing. Well, that's wonderful. And I could see where the pump would be much easier to work with. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's definitely the, the, the way to go. That continuous monitoring is, is the key. Um, you, know, you, just, you couldn't stick yourself, uh, you couldn't stick your finger 220 times an hour. Oh, it'll be impossible. And for, for the pump also gauges insulin. So if they start producing insulin, at least they are in real time and that you can um, gather this information that they're taking less. So in real time, they know to take less, not referring to someone else, and that you're gathering this at the same time. Am, am I correct in that thinking? That's right. And that's what um, prior people on these have seen um, one of them you can see on our website, uh, on the homepage, just go down to the bottom and click on Meet Lewis. And Lewis is a 13-year-old who uh, has had type 1 diabetes since he was two years old, and he was able to be on uh, one of the earlier trials and was able to try the regeneration drug. And his mom um, as a testimonial on there that she kept having to pull his insulin back more and more and more over those 30 days. Um, he wasn't on the immunosuppressant, but, um, but we were able to see that's kind of where some of this data comes from that gave us these ideas was from that, that initial trial. So you can the three or four minute video uh, on Lewis, and you know, I think that, that gives a very good overview of um, of Pearl and kind of what we're what we're going after and what and what our trial is is doing. Well, it's very exciting. So, really, the only um, concern at this point is the drug that deals with our immune systems. The other is is there's really no side effects whatsoever. Um, I think everything has a side effect. You're okay. It, but certainly it's. Uh, nothing that would stop me from taking it um you know it's meant for it's it's meant to take for heartburn and we give the the same dose that you would take if you had heartburn so we're not increasing the dose at all 
Uh, you, know, you can take between X and Y, and we give the, the higher dose, but it's still within the FDA-approved um, approved level. So we're not we're not going anywhere outside of that range. Wow, that's incredible. Given that if you suffer from sweaty palms, you could take something, and the side effects are so incredible. And in my opinion, probably far worse than having sweaty palms, but people take it. And in this case, to be able to help people living with diabetes become insulin independent and really not have that many side effects is so impressive. So we really need to support you. Yeah, please. I mean, that that's, that's huge. Having those uh, advocates is really um, what anybody can do right now that would really help us. And um, also, you know, as a, as an advocate, what we committed to is we will let you know before anyone else knows about um, sort of the data that's coming out or uh, any press releases that are coming out. We send those out to the advocates before they go out. Um, you know, sometimes it's only a couple hours, but it always will go out there prior to, uh, to being out on the web. Well, anybody interested in supporting this, and I can't imagine how somebody wouldn't be interested in supporting this that's living with diabetes or has a family member, a child, obviously still a family member, um, living with diabetes should be supporting this. Seeing where this trial goes, keeping our fingers crossed, and really supporting this, um, it's so important. It's not just, as we said, as I say, it's not just about taking an injection, but all the other things that surround it and keeping our levels at a more normal balance. It's really hard. It's, it's so hard, even for myself, um, so many years, and I eat healthy, and I exercise, and my weight's down, and, and I test my sugar so often, I can't tell you, um, more than I would say your average person does, but that, that is taking the pen, not the pump. So I might test my sugar eight times a day, and how do you catch every spike? It's so difficult your stress, emotions, uh, activity, every single thing affects it. So the fact that this could really replace insulin and help us produce our own and be so much more independent of insulin, uh, meaning artificial, is just wonderful. You know, one, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I, I found quite interesting is that, so as I mentioned, the artificial insulins are absolutely amazing and there's different types out there uh there's new types coming about seems like almost every day uh, all the time i hear yeah yeah there's long lasting there's quick acting um the the thing that i found interesting was that even the quick acting still takes minutes uh to uh, on average let's say 20 minutes so you inject it and it might take 15, 20 minutes to start working. Um, no matter what the number is, even if we say it's two minutes, there's still a delay. In your body, from the moment your brain recognizes that there's carbohydrates or glucose in your, uh, in your system and it releases insulin, it takes seconds for your body to react. So even the best insulins out there, artificial insulins, still aren't nearly as good as your own innate insulin and that's where you can't it's really hard to compete with your body 
And, you know, I, I've always said the brain is the absolute best pharmacy out there. And uh, you know, there's, there's no competing with that. If you can get it back to the way it was, there really isn't anywhere to go from there. You brought up an excellent point. Um, I'm on a, fact, a fast-acting insulin, and true to form, it takes about 15 minutes. And that's actually quicker than where I started with a fast-acting insulin. They're, they make them um, a little bit better now, and they're that much quicker, but it's still about 15 minutes. So you catch it, you treat it. But again, you're treating it after the fact a lot of times. And you know, we can say, okay, I'm going to, I know I'm going to have this many carbs or whatever affects our blood sugars. And of course, carbs is the culprit and take an amount and measure it. But it's really, it's very difficult to manage those spikes. Yeah. You know, I had it explained to me, um, by someone uh, of the time delay, someone who's, who's on insulin, a type one diabetic who's on insulin. And they said, you know, it's almost like trying to drive a car with a delay so someone says okay that you're you're driving this remote control car and when you tell it to go left it goes left 15 minutes later or a minute later or five seconds later um it's very difficult to keep it right in the middle of the road or right in the lane and that's the problem with with insulin right now is that it's even the most well-controlled patient still it's clear that um, that their spikes are higher and lower than, than a non-diabetic. And it's just that time delay. The body can do it a whole lot better than, than anything else out there. Well, we are, as human beings, we are amazing. Best machine ever. And thank you for helping it work better. In the yeah, case of someone living with diabetes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we... we we appreciate everybody's uh, everybody becoming our advocates or, or signing up with us um, so that they can stay in touch with us. And certainly, um, you know, we we respond our, our founder and um, other um, diabetics uh, that are part of our company respond to all of the tweets and, and emails and uh, and Facebook posts. Um, we're very active on there and, um, obviously really the only thing they can't give is any medical advice, but I can tell you that the Risa Levitan, Dr. Levitan, who's the founder, uh, and endocrinologist, she responds, uh, a lot on, on those sites. So, you know, we would definitely suggest, um, you know, if you don't want to sign up for the, for the newsletter for some reason, you know, we'd love if you go to our Facebook or, um, Twitter account and follow us. And, um, and certainly those all, those all help get the word out. Um, the way Facebook works, the more likes you have, the more likely it is to pop up on somebody's news feed. So um, you know, certainly getting the word out, maybe retweet uh, anything we put out or that you find interesting or significant or uh, you know, pushing like on, on the Facebook pages is, is always great. Well, you know, like I said, anybody that's helping towards a cure is always appreciated. This just seems uh, far more um, sooner rather than later, less complications, as in it's having, you know, our own body produce insulin again. And it just, it, it sounds amazing. So keeping our eye on Pearl seems to be a very good idea. And 
signing up for newsletters, just keeping abreast of where you're going at this point. And we can always check with our endocrinologists or doctors, whether you see an endocrinologist or not, most likely you do, but we can always inform them of what we're looking at and maybe they want to keep aware of it too. Yeah. So we have, there are, there's a chance that uh, your endocrinologist already knows about this and, uh, you know, the, the endocrinologist group is, is essentially quite small in the U.S. And, um, and so a lot of endocrinologists will already know about this and um, probably uh, know Dr. Levitan or know of her, certainly. And um, it won't, it, it's unlikely that it's the first time that they've heard of this. Well, there, and so discuss it with your doctor, keep informed, and support Pearl Bioscience. We appreciate it. Thank you for sharing with me today. This is fascinating and really encouraging. Um, you know, at first when I read that it was new, newly diagnosed um, patients, I wasn't sure what the time frame was, but I, I thought, oh, okay, uh, does it help someone who's had diabetes for quite a long time, someone like myself? But thank you for clearing that up. This is so wonderful to hear. I'm, I'm going to be supporting Pearl and watching, and I wish the best of success. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Very exciting news in the treatment of diabetes. Helping people live with diabetes become insulin independent, putting our pancreas back in the state it was pre-diabetes. Very exciting. And a company you want to keep your eye on, Pearl Bioscience. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share with me, please send me an email at anita at anitacoach.ca and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.